Today on Podcast by the Bay, current Assembly Member for District 24, Mark Berman. Equality of opportunity falls on government, uh, whether it's your local schools uh, and, and your local school board and making sure that you know every kid growing up in your community gets a high quality education, whether it's public safety uh, and making sure that every kid grows up in a community that is safe. Discussing many of the issues that are affecting us all, such as housing, and also a new bill on homelessness. Uh, It's AB 302 that we introduced this year to require community colleges to let their homeless students uh, sleep in their cars on a parking lot on on campus. Uh, And this is, uh, there are currently statewide studies that are being done. Um, one by the community college chancellor's office, one by the community college league of California. Uh, and from what I hear, the results are going to be that approximately 20% of California's community college students have experienced some period of homelessness over the last 12 months. Uh, and that's staggering. All coming up on today's episode of podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at HighwaySoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.Liberty-RealtyInvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And now, another Podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us, and we thank you for downloading this episode, and we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends. We definitely appreciate it. And so today, we're going to continue our assembly member coverage uh, with all the assembly members here on the peninsula and around the Bay Area. And so today's assembly member we're going to speak with is actually from District 24, and that's Mark Berman. And so, Mark, he's actually working on a couple of exciting bills now, Patrick. He's in the news. So can you give us a little background about Mark and really about this new bill, AB302, which really deals with the student homelessness issue? Well, thanks. Thanks, Andre. Um, Mark Berman, I met with him, uh, oh, about a week ago. Um, and Mark uh, represents Assembly District 24, and that's San Mateo County and northern Santa Clara County in the heart of Silicon Valley. Uh, Mark was born in 1980. Uh, he was born in Texas, uh, but he was raised in the, the Bay Area, the Mountain View, Palo Alto area. Um, he's, he's got a law degree. Um, he's uh, extremely well educated. He is the assembly. He preceded Richard Gordon. Richard Gordon, as you know, was also on the Board of Supervisors for San Mateo County. Um, he, he, uh, serves on committees on the election and the redistricting committees. Uh, he's a leading advocate, um, for deceptive election practices, making information accessible to voters and improving the election, uh, cybersecurity. But he's also very passionate about housing, uh, as Andre mentioned, 
Um, I was very fortunate to have an opportunity, as Andre has mentioned, there is an assembly bill uh, that he's proposing that uh, homeless students are able to park their cars in the parking lot of the junior college uh, that uh, they're associated with. I know there's push on the legislation. I'm not sure exactly where it's at. We also have to understand he's also uh, worked on sexual assault bills, uh, firearm bills, um, State of the Union addressed. He, he's, he's passionately working on uh, and, and a supporter of Assembly Bill 50, um, and, or not Assembly Bill, State Senate Bill 50, which is Senator Weiner's bill. He's, he's aboard on that about more density housing. But let's go back to the homeless issue. Uh, and the homeless issue uh, we spent some time on. Mark has been passionate since he uh, gr- has grown up in a very more fortunate uh, family situation. Uh, and he's always for the downtrodden. He's trying to help people get ahead. He realizes the in, uh, inequities that we have right now with housing, child care. Um, he's, again, located right in the Silicon Valley area. So he's close to understanding what's happening with whether it's Facebook or Google or Oracle or something like that. Uh, he's very passionate about bringing uh, trade schools back into the system. He realizes that not everyone needs to go to colleges, that we're missing out on opportunities for tradespeople, meaning your carpenters, your plumbers, your computer techs, your programmers. So he was also very passionate. I want you to listen close to it because the narrative is, we're podcast by the Bay. We're trying to push to see that the opportunity for more jobs happens for local people. And if we need to bring back those trade schools in our curriculum, I think we need to push our legislators to get that as part of the vernacular. That's actually a great point, Patrick, because I think there is a lot of concern and I've heard it and I've actually seen it myself and actually have spoken to various people here on the peninsula and actually in the Bay Area that have actually made that very point that a lot of the jobs that are going to the Googles and the Facebooks and and these uh you know these big tech companies that are really empowering this this uh, income disparity um they're not really going to the local people and there's a lot of qualified local people here and I think the Silicon Valley index that was just released kind of highlights that point you can actually go on the uh, and, and look at the Silicon Valley index that was actually produced. So, yeah, I think these are all great points. I think uh, a lot of these issues are are definitely tied. They're intertwined, right? So the homelessness issue is tied with the housing, with the income disparity, with the jobs, with, with everything. So a lot of these issues are right there. So we definitely appreciate Assemblymember Mark Berman uh, and you for actually bringing up these issues and really talking about it. And I think you bring up a great point with the trade school. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get to the Mark Berman interview. If you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at podcastbythebay as our handle or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And remember, you can listen to any of our shows 24 hours a day for free on any of the podcast sites, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Pocket Cast, whatever one you have, we're there. All right, so signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is March 1st, and I have the honor of interviewing Mark Berman. He's the Assembly District for the 24th District. Welcome, Mark, to uh, Podcast by the Bay. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and your listeners. Well, thanks, Mark. And you are my first interview for March because today is March (laughs) 1. Um, A little background about Mark. Mark was born in Dallas, Texas in in 1980. 
And Mark, I'm just doing the numbers. I could be wrong. And Mark, I think you're the youngest one in this district. Uh, uh, in the in the in the 24th district. Yes, in the tw- yes, in this area. Uh, yeah, I uh, Evan Lowe, Assemblymember Lowe, is younger than I am. By, okay, by a couple of years. By a couple of years. Well, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. I guess my first question is, um, you you uh, you grew up in Palo Alto, born in Dallas, Texas. Uh, you attended Palo Alto High School. Yep. You got a, a political science degree from Georgetown University. God, I really wish I could have gone there, but congratulations <laughs> to to you for doing that. Uh, why did you get into public service? That's a great question and actually has a lot to do with, with my childhood uh, and growing mm-hmm. up. Uh, I, as you mentioned, I grew up in Palo Alto. Uh, I played soccer pretty competitively while I was growing up and I played in leagues and on teams with friends from all over the region. It wasn't just other Palo Alto kids. Uh, and we all had different backgrounds and even at a pretty young age, I could tell that I had more opportunities than a lot of my teammates. Uh, and it wasn't cause I did anything right and they did anything wrong. It was just that I grew up in Palo Alto and maybe they grew up in East Palo Alto or, uh, at the time they were growing up in Redwood city or, you know, other cities around here where their schools weren't, uh, of the same quality as Palo Alto public schools, or maybe their parents, you know, couldn't get them tutors or, or other outside help. And that struck me as unfair. Uh, you know, why was it fair that I got opportunities that my friends and teammates didn't get when they didn't do anything wrong and I, to, to not deserve them and I didn't do anything right to deserve them? And, and to me, that function, the, the, the service of, of equality of opportunity falls on government, uh, whether it's your local schools uh, and, and your local school board and making sure that, you know, every kid growing up in your community gets a high quality education, whether it's public safety, uh, and making sure that every kid grows up in a community that is safe, you know, where they can go to school and not have to worry about, you know, gang violence on the way to school and being pressured into things they don't want to do that. The, the, the government plays the role of providing that equality of opportunity. It's up to us to have a quality of outcome. We, is there any leader in particular, uh, past or present, that's influenced you? I know you worked for Anna Eshu. I did. Um, was she the leading person that got you in, or was there any particular political person or family member that said, God, I've got to do this? Yeah, so uh, a Republican United States senator uh, was, was the one who kind of turned me on to politics, because that was my great uncle. Uh, that was my, my grandpa's half-brother. Uh, was a United States senator from Minnesota for for two terms for twelve years, uh, named Rudy Boschwitz, uh, and and that's what made politics real. That's what made it something that Uncle Rudy did. It wasn't what people on the TV did, and it made it tangible. It made it possible. It made it a career path that you know that that. I could seriously consider because it was it was real to me. It wasn't just what other people did. Uncle Rudy and I obviously disagree on policies um, because I'm a pretty progressive Democrat, and and he was a very, kind of a Reagan Republican, if you will, a fiscal Republican. Um, but then interning for Congresswoman Eshoo, interning for Congressman Mike Honda uh, for his first on his campaign on his first race for Congress in 2000. Both of those experiences were very formative for me. Um, and actually seeing the day-to-day life 
Well, Mark, you do have a law degree. Where did you get your law degree? USC, University of Southern California. Well, congratulations. And I know once that you, you graduated, you, you uh, worked in a firm here in Palo Alto. I did. And I think you did a lot of pro bono work. I did. Um, and a lot of uh, activist group uh, helping the people that needed it. I did. Those um, were my favorite clients. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, that's a great way to start in public service. Um, I think um, if you can tell the audience, um, District 24 covers San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and parts of San Mateo County. Just give, can you give us a highlight? I'm not trying to test you on the cities. Sure. Why don't you give us... I'll give you the cities. I'll give you this. Why not? A sliver of Cupertino, North North Cupertino, Sunnyvale, Mountain View, Los Altos, Los Altos Hills, Palo Alto, Menlo Park, East Palo Alto... North Fair Oaks, which is unincorporated San Mateo County, uh, and then Woodside, Portola Valley, Atherton, and the district goes all the way out to the coast and includes Half Moon Bay down through Pescadero and to the Santa Cruz County border. So it's northern Santa Clara County and southern San Mateo County. Beautiful, diverse, fascinating, challenging district. So, uh, to our uh, to our listeners out there. Um, uh, Mark's first year was 2016 in the Assembly. Yeah, um, elected in 2016. Ele- yeah. Elected in 2016. He also served on the Palo Alto City Council. I did. How long were you on the Palo Alto City Council? Four years, one term. One term. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the background information that I have on you, Mark, is, is quite exciting. Um, and I, I, I recognize that there was 31 bills that you were able to get through in your first year. Uh, yeah. Well, I congratulate you on it. One of the bills, there, there's several bills that I'm going to talk about, but I hope I'm going to talk about some of the ones that not only you're passionate, but I'm passionate about. Great. It. Um, one of the ones that, that happened uh, is the, the uh, of the sexual harassment. Sure. We, we had a major thing coming across uh, industries, whether it was the film industry, the political industry, the public industry, the college, the universities, mm-hmm. all over the place with sexual harassment. I spoke um, with uh, um, Assemblyman Kevin Mullins over a year ago, and I spoke to him this year about it. Um, I think you've worked closely with him and the legislature to kind of put some teeth behind the sexual harassment. Why don't you tell us what you've seen has happened back there in Sacramento and what progress we're making on it. Yeah, there's been a lot, uh, you know, it, it, it happened later than it should have, but it's a good thing it's happening that as, there's, as there has been more awareness about just the pervasiveness of sexual harassment uh, in every industry uh, in California, uh, we've taken, uh, you know, bold steps to try to protect the rights of sexual assault survivors. And so uh, in my first year, I teamed up with Assemblymember Lorena Gonzalez, uh, who represents San Diego, and we joint authored uh, the Sexual Assault Survivors Bill of Rights. Uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was AB 1312, um, to create a Bill of Rights that every survivor of sexual assault has in California. So uh, that can be, because we heard from, from survivors who said, you know what? Reporting my sexual assault and going through the the kind of criminal justice system was could at times was as difficult as the sexual assault itself in terms of the lack of kind of care for me as a survivor in my reporting, uh, the lack of notification I would get about certain steps in regards to the testing of my the rape kit, the the DNA kit, uh, and so we wanted to make sure that every 
survivor knows what their rights are and that every police department you know knows what rights the survivors have and make sure that they provide a card to every sexual assault survivor when they report an assault that clearly lays out for them what their their rights are we joined up with a, an organization called rise uh to help do that uh, which has been helping get th this type of legislation passed nationally and in a lot of states across the country, and, and they're doing fantastic work. Well, I'm going to dovetail into another thing that was currently in the newspaper, and, it's, and, and it goes into something uh, that you're passionate about and most of the Assembly and the Senate is passionate about, and is education. Um, I, I'm assuming the author of the bill is Senator Hill, as well as uh, Assemblyman Kevin Mullins and Assemblyman Mark Berman. Um, and that's the... Um, 55 rule, so sure. to speak. Why don't you explain um, to our, uh, to the listeners on the residents what, what that means? Yeah, so right now to pass a parcel tax uh, for school districts so that schools have more revenue to be able to provide a better education for a community's children, they have to get two-thirds approval of voters to approve a parcel tax. And I actually worked, I volunteered on the campaign committee for a parcel tax in Palo Alto in 2010 in, in my hometown um, and have supported different parcel tax measures. But getting two-thirds approval is an incredibly high bar. Um, and, and I think it's frankly undemocratic that 34% or 33.4% of a community should be able to stop 66.5% of a community from from investing more in their schools, and so Senator Hill uh, has has introduced uh, a, a, a Senate constitutional amendment to lower that threshold from two thirds to fifty five percent. So it's still more than a majority. I would have actually been comfortable if it was a simple majority. Um, fifty five percent is is kind of you know a middle ground in between a simple majority and a two-thirds. Is isn't the old rule follow under Prop 13? Is that is that correct or am I wrong? That sounds right to me. I don't have, I can't say that definitively, but that sounds right that it was Prop 13 that required two-thirds passage for any revenue generating measure. Now, we recently lowered that to 55% for school construction bonds. Uh, so, so this is kind of following in the footsteps of that effort. Um, to to make it easier for our communities to prioritize and invest uh, in certain civic assets, um, and and I think you know there's almost nothing is more important than our schools and our kids and their future. Um, Are you excited? You know, I know our our new governor Gavin and Nuisance um, um, is really into school and education. Yeah. I'm also, as well as a, a real estate broker and educator, I teach in the Sequoia School District and high school district for about eight or nine years on nice. a part-time basis. So I see the importance. Can you talk a little bit about the preschool? Because I think if, if, if I recall going through your bills, you've been really aggressive to make sure that preschool takes place. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a huge supporter uh, uh, of increasing access to high quality early childhood education. And the reason for that is that you know, we have this huge achievement gap in our schools. And frankly, we haven't figured out how to close that achievement gap between our wealthier students and our stu students from lower income communities, between our white and, and Asian students and our uh, black and Latino students. And the reason it's hard to close the achievement gap is because too many students are starting kindergarten at five years old, already two years behind their more affluent peers. Uh, and so when you're starting kindergarten two years behind, just imagine how hard that is to, to make that up 
and how hard that is for teachers who are getting students from all different, you know, uh, skill levels. Uh, and so we need to invest in high quality early childhood education. That wasn't a, a, a priority of Governor Brown's, but that's a huge priority of Governor Newsom's. Uh, and I know it's a big priority of the, the Democratic caucus in, in the state assembly and in the Senate. And I think with some of my Republican colleagues as well, because they recognize that th- th- there is a seven to eight dollar return on investment in every dollar spent on high quality early childhood education because students, kids start school more prepared. They do better in school. They go on to higher education. They get a good job. That means they're not ending up in the criminal justice system. They're not ending up needing government uh, services to support them when they get older. And so it's a good financial investment as well as just an equity issue in our communities. You know, I'm excited also, and this kind of dovetails into um, a little bit more of equity. I know there are people that, that have committed felons mm-hmm. um, and they've been barred from voting, even mm-hmm. though they've done their they've done their time. So what's your opinion? I, I don't know if the legislation is quite passed yet, but they're trying to provide um, uh, people the opportunity to come back to the process to vote. Yeah. So right now in California, um, once you if you if you were sentenced for a felony or convicted of a felony, uh, and then you're let out of prison and you're done with your parole, after once you go through that whole process, currently you can get your voting rights back. Uh, there's a bill to allow parolees to have their voting rights. Uh, I chair the elections committee in the assembly, and so this bill will be coming to my committee. So I can't take a position on it yet because it would be inappropriate for me for a bill that's going to come to the committee that I'm the chair of. But but I'm a strong believer that if we want people to reintegrate into society, if we want people to become productive members of society after they've spent time in prison, you know, we need to give them the rights back and, and we need to try to, we need to encourage them to participate in the democratic process. And that's exactly what, uh, you know, this effort is, is along those lines. So I definitely see where the the author, uh, my friend Kevin McCarty out of Sacramento, uh, is coming from. I need to look at the policy more closely and, and I need to wait until you know the time is right to take a position, but I definitely uh, see where you know where the bill is coming from and, and what the goals are. Okay, and one of the things that um, most of the uh, assemblymen and senators, as well as myself, are very passionate about is uh, mental health. Sure. Um, one of the biggest, uh, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about mental health in the state of California. Um, I, I see that we don't really have mental health as a curriculum mm-hmm. item in high schools or in middle schools. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've seen across the country with tragedies in school, yeah, um, especially with with um, assault rifles or any type of form of guns, sure, isn't it about time that we somehow have mental health taught in our high schools or middle schools? So I I, I kind of led the effort on something related to this last year where we got $1.7 million in the budget for training for our teachers, our administrators, our principals, and our students 
uh, in middle school and high school on youth mental health and suicide prevention. And, and so what that is, is training so that students can identify when their peers are struggling, teachers can identify when their students are struggling, and have the skills and the training to intervene ahead of time uh, to provide that student, to provide that youth with some help uh, and some guidance before something bad happens. Because all of the things that you mentioned in terms of the, the gun violence um, uh, instances are tragic. We've, in Palo Alto in particular, we've also had a lot of youth suicide. Uh, Palo Alto has suffered from two youth suicide clusters in the last nine years, uh, which strikes very close to home because these are students that went to the same schools that I went to. Uh, and so we need to do a better job of, you know, providing, giving, giving teachers and administrators and, and fellow students the training and the skills and the teaching so that they can identify when somebody's struggling and they can feel confident in kind of well, let me give you a suggestion on podcast by the bay we did a zoom room on gun control and we tried to bring people in from a little bit different disciplines to see what their thoughts were sure and we had a techie guy and the techie guy said you know we have 411 yep we have 911 yep why don't we have one not suicide prevention but something where somebody's on edge number yeah so so there, there are. It's a great question. There are a lot of organizations that that uh, do have hotlines. There's one in particular, and I don't recall the name of the organization off the top of my head. But there's actually a very popular song uh, about this exact issue, and, and the title of the song was actually the number that you can call when you're when you're you know feeling stressed. When well, you're, let us know what that is. We'll, I will we'll put that out on podcast. I will. I, it's I, a great song. Yeah, uh, and it really brought a ton of attention to this issue uh, of suicide and, and and of the fact that a lot of us go through tough times. Uh, and and you know having somebody to talk to uh, can be a math, It can be the difference maker. Uh, let's let's talk about the dynamics of the Bay Area a little bit before we get into the housing. Let's talk about something which really affects um, a high percentage of people. Probably we don't know the exact number, uh, and that's homelessness. I know you were instrumental, and in, I think this was in San Diego. Was it about the homeless student that was sleeping in the parking lot? Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and, and tell us what you've done? Yeah, so I have a bill. It's actually gotten more attention than we expected, and, and it's probably gotten more attention than all of my other bills combined uh, up to now. Uh, it's AB 302 that we introduced this year to require community colleges to let their homeless students uh, sleep in their cars on a parking lot on on campus, uh, and this is uh, there are currently statewide studies that are being done. Um, one by the community college chancellor's office, one by the community college league of California, uh, and from what I hear, the results are going to be that approximately twenty percent of California's community college students have experienced some period of homelessness over the last twelve months, uh, and that's staggering. I asked a group last night that I was talking with, what do you think the percentage is? And one said 3%, the next said 5%, and the next guy, it said 10%. Uh, and I said, no, 20%, which is 400,000 plus students uh, across California, 400,000 plus community college students. 
uh, experienced some period of homelessness. And this is plaguing all of our students from the elementary school students in East Palo Alto to community college students in Los Angeles and San Diego. And, and so this was an idea that was brought to us by actually my an intern, a former intern in the district office who goes to Foothill Community College and, and knows that some of her peers sleep in their cars at night. Uh, some of them sleep in their cars on campus and they're getting tickets. Some of them try to get out of the way, try to go into the shadows. And so they're sleeping in their cars in, in dark alleyways or in industrial parks. And those are the places where they're the most vulnerable because there's nobody else around. Uh, and, and I've heard stories from folks who, who have friends who have been sexually assaulted sleeping in their cars. And, and so every community college has multiple parking lots. Every community college has restroom facilities. Every community college has some overnight security of some type. It just seemed to be really logical uh, to, to say, you know what, why don't we give those students that go to those colleges a safe place to sleep in their cars? Well, you know, I've interviewed or talked to some students that are going to UC Berkeley and they're living in a tent in somebody's backyard. Right. So it's not unusual. Yeah. Um, you know, when we talk about um, higher education, which, you know, um, I know you have a higher education and I do. Um, we, we're in a situation in this economy that a higher education doesn't necessarily guarantee a job. Yeah. And one of the things that I've tried to encourage the legislation to look at is to bring trade schools back. Sure. We have many students that probably could do okay in college, but there's no guarantee when they come out that they've got that fifty, dollars $100,000 debt that they can go sure. ahead and get a job. What can we do back in Sacramento? Because if you take a look right now, and we're in a dynamic economy, we're short plumbers, we're sure. short mechanics, sure. we're short all of these things. Sure. Um, and the school system, the high school school district, and some of the junior colleges had some ability for a trade school. Yeah. Isn't it time we bring some type of trade schools back into academia? I, I definitely think so. I, whether, now, it might not necessarily be bringing the physical school versus integrating those programs into our existing higher education infrastructure or K-12 through high school infrastructure and teaming up with the different building trades uh, that exist You know, for, for plumbers or construction workers or electricians uh, because those those are very good middle-class jobs uh, that could be the right fit for a lot of students. Uh, and, and I was talking with employers last night, and they brought this up, which was very encouraging to me, and I need to follow up with them, of the fact that, you know what? There are a lot of jobs at tech companies or at banks or at other places where you don't need a four-year degree. Uh, you know, you could have a certificate program from the local community college uh, to, to really dive deep into the skills necessary for that job. Um, and then and, and, and our community colleges can even work with industry, can work with employers and create these regional strategies uh, where you go, you know, the, the employer works with the community college to make sure that the certificate program is providing or is teaching the skills they need. Then the employer knows, hey, they went through this program that we helped kind of design. We're hi we'll hire them with a two-year degree or, or even just a certificate that maybe they spent nine months or a year obtaining. And then while they're working, they can keep on going to, to junior college uh, to get more skills to, to be able to get those promotions. Uh, well, you know, I, I listen to a commercial that's on the radio a lot. And um, basically the gist of the commercial is... Uh, the person's up for a, a raise or up for a promotion. Um, and the employer, 
um, says, even though you don't have the degree, you have the experience. Yeah. We're going to give you the promotion. I'd yeah. like to see more of that. Yeah. Happen. Yeah. We, uh, we, I mean, that's a, we, we become our own worst enemies. We, meaning, meaning employers and communities and status, you know, and we think that everybody has to go to, and we, then this is a problem with our kids and, and leads to the youth mental health problems that, that you mentioned earlier, where we, we put these, pre, this pressure on our kids that they all have to go to Stanford or they all have to go to Berkeley or they all have to go to Harvard or an Ivy League and, and they don't. Uh, and you, you mentioned earlier how I went to Georgetown. I transferred to Georgetown. I didn't get in out of high school. Uh, and I went to a school called Emory University in Atlanta for my freshman year. And I happened to get really good grades my freshman year. And I transferred to Georgetown. So, you know, not every kid needs to go to an Ivy League uh, to get a good job. And, and sometimes if you don't get into where you want to go out of out of high school, go somewhere else for a couple. For, go somewhere else for a couple of years, and and you know, knuckle down and, and get better grades, and then and then you know, transfer. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back a little bit. Um, I was born in San Francisco, and I take public transportation when I interviewed um, Senator Weiner. Yeah, and I've been in there, and I've interviewed him a couple of times. And one of the biggest tragedies in San Francisco is the homelessness. Yeah. Now I don't want you to talk about the homelessness. Um, about San Francisco, but I want to talk about our district. Sure. I have the 24th Assembly District. Yeah. What are we doing for the homeless? I know San Mateo County, and, I, and I'm not picking on them, um, we're doing a volunteer survey to, yep. to collect data, yeah. which I appreciate that they want to collect data. But what are we doing in District 24 for the homeless? Not enough. We're not doing enough. Uh, and, and we need to build, I mean, what we need to do is build more housing. Uh, I mean, that is that that is the solution to addressing homelessness is getting somebody who's homeless into a stable housing situation and then providing them with the different services they need once they have a stable living situation, you know, in place and, and, and overhead. And, and so that is it's a it, you know, it, it's a pretty simple supply and demand uh, calculation. And, and we have uh, too much demand and we don't have enough supply in terms of housing and there are some people who don't, you know, really don't want to live under a roof, and and those are the toughest situations. But for ninety ninety five percent of the of our homeless population, they just can't afford it, uh, and they just need a little help. Uh, now I know the city of San Mateo, um, and it's I, I I could be naming it wrong. I think it's called Edge, but they have a system where. They're counseling and talking to the homeless people, trying to get them their social security, yep. get them their driver's license or an identification card. Yeah. So it sounds so that they can feel like they're part of the system so that they could apply for a job or they could apply to vote or, or do something. And, and get different government services that they rightfully qualify for, whether it's food stamps or, you know, housing vouchers or whatever the case may be. Let's let's make sure that people know what services are out there and, and that they get access to the services that they qualify for. Well, this hooks back to something we talked about earlier, and that's mental health. Probably 20 to 40 percent of the people that are on the streets of homelessness are dealing with some mental health. Yes. Yes. Um, so we've got to push a little bit harder in the, in the legislature. I don't know how we, we solve that problem. Yeah. yeah. But I think we need to look at that. I agree a thousand percent. I agree a thousand percent. Now, one of the things that I looked at the paper today, and I think if I lived in Palo Alto, I would be upset. Yeah. I read the post, 
and the post is talking um, about the housing requirement. Now, I want to quantify it first that the, the governor, based on a statistical demographics, it says that we need 3.5 mm-hmm. million housings. Now, I'm a realtor for 40 years. I'm, I, I'm for housing. I support housing. I want to see housing built for all stratas. But on that 3.5 million, we don't really know are those senior housing, mm-hmm. first-time housing. Mm-hmm. What is it? How can we grab a hold of, of the issue? Because in the post today, and it said that Palo Alto would not be able to meet their housing demand till the year 2063. Hmm. Now, I I was just blown away. And then they said that they wouldn't be even a, a, a distance way in 2030. So I don't know where they where, where they came up with that statistical. Yeah. I want you to read it. I'll take a look. I mean, I'll I, take mean, a I look. know the Post is in between and the Daily Journal of trying to get readership. So look at it close. Yeah, um, I will. How, how can we address the housing problem better than we are? Um, most of the politicians, that are, and without putting anyone on the spot, um, Senator Weiner had Bill 827. Mm-hmm. 827, as you know, went down to defeat because of the issue of the cities not wanting mm-hmm. the state to dictate. To sure. Now, I've interviewed 16 mayors on the peninsula. They all have different housing policies. Yep. I live in a unique town called Foster City. We have a 20%. Yep. Okay. I may go to Redwood City and they do it. Uh, 15%. Project, yeah, 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 or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So how can we do that? I heard the governor, and, and tell me if I'm misread on that, he's trying to use the stick approach as opposed to the carrot approach. Sure. Where he's saying if you don't build the housing... I won't give you the, the tax dollars that you need for transportation. Yeah. So that's not so. So I'll, I'll disagree with the governor on the idea. What, what he kind of said, and then he started to walk back. I believe uh, is you know if, if you're not meeting your regional housing needs allocation, if you're not meeting the the housing needs, then you won't get your SB one. Uh, tax uh, transportation funding. And that's wrong uh, because we pitched to voters the importance and the necessity of SB1 and of improving our, our transportation infrastructure. And, and it would be a bit of a bait and switch uh, to, to now say, oh, and we're going to tack on this other requirement. But, I, but, you know, the governor is rightfully taking an aggressive approach on housing. Uh, and, you know, you, you asked earlier, how do we know if we need affordable housing or senior housing or different types of housing? And I've got good news and I've got bad news, uh, which is that it's really easy. We need all of it uh, because we're deficient statewide in every strata of housing. Uh, and, and so um, it, you, we do. There are very smart people, including some folks who live in Palo Alto, like my friend Steve Levy, who's a, a preeminent California economist who helps uh, identify what those needs and numbers are, who could get more into the details. But at a high level, we need housing of every type. Uh, and the the I served on a city council. I totally understand the anger and frustration about the idea of the state forcing cities to do things. Um, but at the same time, you and I, I think, can agree that we're in a housing crisis, considering we've been talking so much about homelessness. And the idea that the same system that created the housing crisis will get us out of the housing crisis, I have a tough time getting very confident in that 
concept and that idea. And well, a couple of things I want you to look at in a lot of San Mateo County and Santa Clara County, and I it, somewhere between fifty to sixty percent of the senior citizens own their own home. Sure. Okay. So I would argue that most of these seniors, and and, and I'm getting in, into that bracket too, don't want to sell their home because of the tax consequence. Sure. Okay. Absolutely. And they may be in a four bedroom or a five bedroom sure. or six bedroom home. Sure. So maybe we need to look at somehow some equity to encourage it. And I know when I see new developments thing and they say it's going to be a senior thing over 55, that the cost of those senior uh, developments scare the people that have all that equity in that property sure. to move that money over to something else. Sure. So something that we need to to look at a yeah. little bit closer on how we can we can bridge that gap yeah. to en- encourage people to sell their home and they don't want to li- they don't want to move out of the bay area. They want to stay here For sure. if, if they can. Totally agree. My parents kind of went through that calculus and and they decided instead to remodel their their house that I grew up in to to be a house that they'll live in for you know another twenty years or however long they're alive and and so and but but it's a much bigger house than they they really need now that their three boys are all out of the house, so we do need to figure out how to incentivize you know more turnover. As a realtor and a real estate broker, I want people to have ownership. Yeah. Um, what I'm noticing, at least in San Mateo County, and I'm pretty sure it's similar in Santa Clara County, all we're building for, for, for below market rents. We're not building housing actually for sale hmm. for the first time home buyer. Hmm. We're building house. Now, it would be more encouraging that the planning departments give them the where for all down the road to turn those when we went through 2008 the recession a lot of the developers put their condo proposals into rental units sure. and then brought it back into condo units to sell so why are we building now i understand the dynamics of the bay area with the apple the facebook the salesforce the gilead the genentech the young people probably would rent more than they would buy yeah but don't we need to balance it out and have some more houses that the first-time home buyer can build or we, buy? We, we we do. The challenge is that it's so expensive that that people are just giving up uh, on on buying homes, and and so people that have very good-paying jobs have resigned themselves to being renters. And and I saw uh, last night at something that I was at that the cost of homes of buying homes. It went up, I think it was 15% in the Bay Area last year. But rental costs actually went down, mm. uh, which is very interesting. And I didn't know that until I heard that. Um, and, and so you're right. We need to build more housing of all kinds. We need to build more affordable housing. But we also need to build more kind of entry-level housing, whether that's condominiums or, or you know smaller homes on smaller lots. Uh, or middle middle housing that we talk a lot about, duplexes and quadplexes instead of single family homes, and and that's the challenge. Is um, look, the dream for many many people is to own a single family home. The reality in my district is that even in East Palo Alto, that'll cost you at least a million dollars, and in Menlo Park and Palo Alto and Mountain View, it's probably for a single family home, it's probably two million or more, um, and and so. Uh, and by probably, I mean, I know it's $2 million or more because me and my fiance are kind of starting to take a look. Uh, well, let me give you some food for thought. And it has to do with our tax bracket. We don't want to really discuss that. 
But let's say a professional couple that work for Google or Salesforce, and let's say their combined income is 200000 Sure. If I do the math, 50% of that money is taken away by federal and state taxes. Uh, it should be less than 50%. But well, if you add Social Security and okay. tax, so you're about sure. 50 cents. So that 200 comes down to 100. Yeah. If they rent, and let's say they're a family of three, it's about four or 5,000. Uh, if it, if for for like a single family to rent. for a three bedroom or yeah. okay yeah so that's sixty thousand yeah okay so now that two hundred thousand dollar person is down to forty thousand dollars sure so what what I'm also saying is that I think the tax system we currently have in this in the, in this country is regressive not yeah. progressive so while we have some dynamics of incomes yeah we also have some disparity of the ability for disposable income. Sure, so, sure. So yeah. something we should look at. Absolutely. Okay. Um, in um, Santa Clara County and uh, the areas that you represent, um, what what new projects or developments are happening with housing? There's, uh, for example, in Cupertino, there's the, the Valco Mall, um, you know, where there's been a lot of debate, uh, but it could be, you know, over a thousand units of housing, I think, is, is the, the latest proposal. Um, but it, it, it's it's big project. I was just in Sunnyvale uh, earlier today, and, and there's a project going up. I can't remember what street it was on that I think is 900 homes. So there there are some big projects that are going up, but we also need to be looking at you know where can we get two homes where one home currently exists or something like that. Let me finish with one thing, and then I'm going to let you wrap. Up. Yeah, I've been leaning on my board of supervisors in the last recession. And the elected officials, and I'm seeing Gav- Governor Nuisance is listening, to take the land, the surplus land in the cities and counties and working that in the corridor transportation areas. Something we got to look at. we got to look at. On behalf of Podcast by the Bay, before I sign off, Mark, is there anything that you would like to say to the people that live in your district about how they can get a hold of you? Sure. Uh, the, the easiest way is on my website where you can submit comments uh, through a form on the website. Or don't hesitate to call the office, uh, my district office, or my, my office in Sacramento. All the contact information is on my assembly website. Um, but we, we get a lot of good ideas from our constituents that turn into bill ideas. So, uh, and then we also do a lot of constituency casework to help our constituents who are trying to, to interface with different government agencies. So don't hesitate to reach out. Mark, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you for being a great public servant. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Once again, you're listening to the sounds of Leo DeVito playing Night and Day. 
And you can hear more about Leo on the Highway Soul Music page at highwaysoul.com. Well, we'd like to thank Mark Berman and his staff for setting up the interview and for speaking with us at Podcast by the Bay. And if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay as our handle on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. And you can listen to any of our shows 24 hours a day on any of the podcast sites. Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Podbean. We're on all of them. Until next time, keep on rocking and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.